0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Frederickson Health Show. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Frederickson. Have you ever wondered about how to build muscle while fasting? What is autophagy? What is this cell recycling mechanism? And how can we maximize it to its fullest potential? In this episode, we are interviewing Sim Land, who is the author of The Mineral Fix, The Immunity Fix, among others. We're going to talk all about his journey into how he became a best-selling author, how he maintains a lean physique with muscle while also fasting, and we also talk about some of the key minerals that he mentions in his book. So if you're interested in these two subjects, this is an episode you don't want to miss. Check it out, and also feel free to subscribe and share with a friend. If you found beneficial, as always, we'll see you in the episode.
1: Welcome to the Frederickson Health Show, highlighting expert practitioners from health, fitness, injury prevention, functional medicine and integrative medicine. If you are into upgrading and optimizing your health, this podcast is for you. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended to be used as personalized medical advice. And now, and now, here is your host, Dr. Robert Fredrickson.
0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Fredrickson Health Show, episode 22, we have Seam Land from Estonia. I'm going to give you a quick background on this on this man because he is a walking legend so seam is an author speaker content creator renowned biohacker from estonia despite his young age she's considered one of the top people in the health and optimization community with thousands of followers worldwide seam has written books like the metabolic autophagy stronger by stress the immunity fix in addition to the mineral fix Seem, thank you so much for coming on today yeah thanks for inviting me and i'm glad to speak with you yes yeah, so um just tell us a little bit of your background, how you got into this world of health and wellness and what started you on this path
2: um, and when did you get started? Hmm. Yeah, I think, well, I started uh, around uh, maybe like af- after after high school, I um, basically enrolled in the military where I uh, just, you know, was focused mostly on like physical uh, fitness and uh, mental toughness and those kind of things. And after the military, I... You started to take it more uh, seriously in terms of <laughs> trying to just uh, yeah optimize my health and performance uh, more more thoroughly. And um, I kind of stumbled upon this idea of uh, biohacking um, in uh, university um, when I was like uh, maybe I uh, yeah, like 20 years old, 19 years old, something like that. And uh, yeah, it kind of stuck with me of uh, just wanting to uh, learn more about it because it's you know interesting. Uh, and I also saw like just more uh, results in uh, my everyday life, uh, just better. Better productivity, better you know, well-being, uh, better health, uh, performance is better, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why I just uh, decided to start to uh, go uh, deeper with it. That's awesome.
0: So I know in America, biohacking is kind of on the rise with the popularity, but in Estonia, how did you find out about this stuff? Was there certain people that you were following that
2: influenced you in a certain way? Hmm. Well, um, you know, the internet is, is still uh, worldwide, so uh, we can we can find all the information about like American biohackers as well uh, from every anywhere. And I did I think I think the first kind of uh, people I did uh, hear the idea of biohacking from where uh, probably like Dave Asprey uh, from different interviews. Um, so I started listening to his podcast, uh, then like Ben Greenfield for sure, and uh, yeah, like more all these different kinds of people. Um, Dr. Dominic Degastino was the, like the first guy I heard of ketosis about. Uh, but yeah, like uh, they do have uh, some things in common in terms of like just health and uh, optimization. I love that.
0: And so for your military background, is it a full four-year term like it is over here? Or is it different
2: in Europe? No, no. It's uh, it's like a basically just a um, like a mandatory service, civil service uh, for uh, eight to 11 months. And you're doing it uh, just, you know, like. Just to prepare for like the emergency cases, so to say, to prepare the civil civil uh, people. Uh, so it's, I wasn't like a professional in terms of uh, that. Um, you know, yeah. So it was I was like, yeah, not, not like an entire entire term. Cool. Is it mandatory over there? Or is that voluntary? It is like uh, mandatory in Estonia at least, um, and um, yeah, like most most uh, or, you know, like some people uh, can't go or something. But yeah, like most uh, most the men. Uh, from 18 to 27 is the age gap that you have to kind of uh, go through.
0: So that's mandatory if you live in Estonia, you have to go through your eight to 11 month term. Yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting, that's very cool. Are, were you born and raised in Estonia?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm um, Living in on this uh, island in the Baltic Sea and uh, yeah, like born here and uh, living here as well. So all my life, uh, here, here almost all the time. That is awesome. You're my first guest from Estonia. So thank you so much for coming on
0: today. So at what point in, I guess, your life or your career did you decide that you wanted to go full force into health and wellness, into this world of
2: biohacking? Hmm. Um, well, um, I don't know, like a full force, but uh, I started to first uh, use it as a, like, a, like a profession or something like that uh, in my, let's say, second year in college. And uh, when I started my blog... Um, So I started to write about uh, different kinds of things I was doing, like, you know, fasting, uh, ketosis, exercising, uh, meditation, different kinds of supplements and those things um, to kind of broadcast it. And from there, it uh, kind of grew into my uh, YouTube channel as well. I wrote a few books on um, maybe like, yeah, like I became, quote unquote, it became like a living uh, when I wrote a few books on ketosis and I started to sell them on Amazon. That's when I kind of shifted into doing it as a like, yeah professional thing but i actually decided to do it before that so uh, like um, in the bef- 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 before my um before my third year in college i uh was a uh, exchange student in the uk and uh, i didn't want to like uh get a job during the summertime, like uh, usually students do because i wanted to like you know focus on my blog and i focus on my creation and uh books and th- those things so yeah like uh like yeah, that's that's when I decided to go uh, head first, like full in uh, with this thing. That uh, yeah, I'm not gonna go to a job. I'm actually gonna just you know, <laughs> kind of burn my boats in that sense and uh, try to make a thing out of it. I love it. So you're a, so you're an entrepreneur
0: who was very passionate in health and wellness. Started writing blogs, started doing books, and then it just kind of turned into this whole, uh, I guess, sim empire, right? So <laughs> that's awesome. So as you were. <laughs> I guess, young and learning different strategies for health and wellness and, bio- and biohacking, you know, how to make things more efficient. Um, what were some of the first things that you learned that were very helpful and what, what were some of the things that you learned or tried that weren't that helpful and that you wish
2: that you didn't waste time on those things? Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, the first uh, biohack that I did, uh, try was, uh, like, uh, individual fasting, I think, uh, because, um, uh, yeah, I just uh, heard about it from the context of uh, fitness and weight loss. Uh, so it was like, um, some people said it was like just easy way to uh, lean down and um, basically get fit or like, you know, lose body fat with, uh, yeah, just uh, I was like doing uh, weightlifting and bodybuilding before that already. So I uh, always just wanting to uh, optimize my physique and the body composition. So just one strategy that I just decided to uh, do and it uh, did uh, work. Pretty well uh, from the start already. I liked it, I enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, just stuck with it, uh, so to say. I've, and I've done that, you know, nonstop for the last um, eight years, um, something that. Uh, so yeah, that's something that I just uh, decided to uh, do. I, I think some people may find it uh, less appealing, uh, but uh, for me, that's actually one of the like my favorite things uh, in terms of biohacking.
0: Awesome. So what is your intermittent fasting schedule like? When do you have your first meal? And when do you have your last meal? Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, well, nowadays I'm eating only once a day. Um, okay. So I'm eating uh, around, yeah, like 6 p.m. something, uh, 7 p.m. Uh, around there. And um, before that, I would um, do uh, two meals. So I would eat maybe like 11 or 12 for the first time. And the second time also around 6, 7 p.m. Uh, around there awesome so this
0: leads me to an, uh, a series of questions because I am fascinated by this because you are not the typical mold of a you know like Dave Asprey he, he wants to live to be 180 but he doesn't have as much muscle mass as you do and I'm sure when we were growing up in the bodybuilding community it's all about how we can get six meals a day we've got to keep getting protein protein and protein but see, you seem to have a, a, a great way of maintaining and building muscle from what I've seen while also doing intermittent fasting. Can you talk about some of the strategies that you do to help maintain your muscle mass while only eating, I guess, now one meal a
2: day, doing more OMAD style?
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Right. Yeah, Uh, well, it is true, like if you want to build muscle, then a higher eating frequency would be uh, better. So that uh, you would uh, maybe be better to eat more frequently than once a day. But the studies even then find that that there's no uh, benefit beyond four meals. So four meals would already maximize it. And, you know, three meals is also fine, two meals is fine, I uh, saw so gains with that. Um, but with a one meal, um, you're not going to like, at least you're not gonna lose uh, even, you're not gonna lose your muscle as long as you're eating uh, a sufficient amount of protein in that meal. Uh, so uh, whether or not you lose muscle or uh, build muscle is determined by this uh, balance between muscle protein synthesis and muscle protein breakdown. And uh, if you're getting enough protein, even if it is for one meal, then you're maintaining this uh, positive uh, nitrogen balance and a uh, positive protein synthesis. Whereas if you under eat protein, you're in a low protein diet, then uh, the breakdown increases and uh, then you're going to lose it. So, uh, yeah, the studies are also finding that uh, even if you eat all your protein in one meal, you're not going to at least uh, lose it. So uh, that's why like, uh, I'm not, you know, um, I'm not, uh, let's say my main goal isn't to build that much muscle. So that's why I'm like fine doing the one meal day uh, as well. So... Uh, I'm not yeah like it's not my main focus. It's just gonna happens as a byproduct of you know being young and uh, lifting and re- training regularly and also of course eating like a high protein uh, diet. One like a key uh, thing that I do change up is that um, instead of eating just once a day, I also have like this a uh, protein shake uh, during my workout that uh, gives me basically like two meals. So uh, it's yeah. like fast acting protein from the whey protein and does uh, help with this uh, protein synthesis and uh, helps with that. So I'm like. I eat once a day, but I stimulate uh, protein synthesis, you know, twice a day. Okay. Awesome. So your goal right now, is just to maintain muscle mass.
0: What what is your goal right now for your, for your
2: fitness endeavors? Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, at the moment I want to, um, more on, I do like, you know, um, want to kind of uh, hone in on my, on my physique in some sense of uh, maybe fixing some of my shortcomings or something, um, uh, or maybe like more balanced uh, physique uh, although I, I think it's fine at the moment I think just more like aesthetic aesthetic looking physique would be still always something to work on but my main focus is uh, on uh, like strength and uh, uh powerlifting type of thing that I want to um, increase the main lifts uh, the uh, bench squat and deadlift F- focus on that so that's something I'm focusing maybe for the coming uh, winter uh, on that but I do cardio like recreation or you know I'm like um, I don't have like any goals to uh, do cardio so that I could, you know, um, run a marathon or, uh, run a re- re- really fast a mile. I do cardio for the health benefits and just, you know, uh, enjoyment.
0: Yes. Yes. That's great. So something I want to touch on is because I was ingrained in this when I was, you know, growing up lifting is that you can only absorb a certain amount of protein, um, at once. Right. I know some of those research studies have been debunked, but it used to, I think we used to think it was only like 40 grams of protein per meal. And that's why we had to eat multiple meals to keep that nitrogen balance up. Um, but what is the new research showing that you've read that shows, hey, you can actually acquire a lot more protein than we once thought if your body is ready to, you know, take on the protein. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, well, uh, your body would, uh, let's say, absorb all of the protein that you ate. So uh, it's not going to waste it. It's just going to uh, slow down the digestion um, and, uh, yeah, like, If you're you're not absorbing, then you would like, you know, basically excrete all the rest, uh, all the rest, anything above the 40 grams, you would just, you know, uh, excrete out, which doesn't happen, which then means that your body still absorbs it. It's just, you know, does it maybe like over a slower time and, uh, you know, yeah, it happens later. The the idea behind eating this several times a day and uh, that you can only uh, absorb uh, 40 grams, 30 grams per meal is that. Uh, it takes, or the threshold for maximizing uh, protein synthesis from uh, one meal is around 30 to 40 grams. So if you're eating uh, 50 grams, then you're not going to see additional increase in muscle protein synthesis. So it caps out at this 30 to 40 gram mark. 30 is probably more, uh, more uh, accurate for that. So uh, yeah, that's why eating it um, more spread out would help you to spike the protein synthesis again. And every time you spike the protein synthesis, then you're uh, promoting uh, muscle anabolism and muscle growth. So if you're like really trying to build muscle really fast and uh, a whole lot of mass, then maybe eating more frequently would help with that. Um, But yeah, like you can still eat, you know, as, as much protein per meal as you, as, as is your daily goal. Uh, It's just going to happen at a different rate. That's
0: awesome. I I appreciate that info. Um, Do you have a certain, you know, grams of protein that per body weight that you like to accomplish, you know, say for instance, uh, one person might say you need to get one gram of, a protein per, per body weight. So another person might say it might be 0.6, might be 0.8. What is your recommendation for someone who's maybe trying to build muscle? To mm-hmm. Muscle.
2: Yeah. Well, the uh, research has found uh, pretty like established now that the uh, maximum uh, amount that that you that you can optimize is like 0.8 grams uh, per pound of uh, lean body mass, and uh, that's you're not going to see like any additional uh, benefits uh, beyond that. So like 0.8 to 1.0 grams is somewhere like where most uh, say fitness and uh, bodybuilders uh, would aim aim for and uh, that will be that will like maximize uh, the uh, the muscle building effects from that uh, in in some studies where they eat more like 1.2 and 2 grams of protein per body weight then you don't see additional muscle growth but they do see additional fat loss uh, from that or a bit like leaner leanness uh, because uh, Basically, like the extra extra protein just gets uh, wasted away or like not wasted away, but your body just burns uh, that many more calories for digesting protein. So if you're eating uh, 2.0 grams per pound of body weight as protein and you're still at like a moderate calorie intake, then um, most of those calories from the protein are going to be wasted away for energy production or heat. Uh, So, yeah, compared to something, compared to if those calories came from uh, fats or carbs, then that... uh, the, uh, burn-off effect would be much, uh, slow, much lower.
0: Yeah. And I guess if you're eating that much protein, you can't, you don't have enough, probably not have enough more calories left in the day to eat a lot of fat. So you're gonna actually be eating less calories throughout the day, effectively yeah. losing weight. Um, but yeah, so that, that's good to know because we used to think that you needed a lot more protein than what you did, pro- you know, than what you just said to gain muscle. So if you are 200 pounds, all you need is 160 grams of protein based on that 0.8. Right. So that's mm-hmm. all. So, yeah. I know you're big into fasting for health, health reasons. Um, Can you talk about those health reasons like autophagy, the importance of autophagy, and why you think more people should realize the importance of this cellular repair process that we need to optimize in our daily lives?
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, the autophagy uh, translates into uh, self-eating. And uh, it's uh, this uh, process where uh, your uh, cells are recycling themselves from different kinds of uh, debris, old material, broken uh, mitochondria, waste, and uh, zombie cells, and uh, just junk. And um, in the process, you know, the cells, the healthy cells, uh, their, their, their uh, functioning improves. They have less inflammation, you experience less inflammation, uh, better just health uh, as a result of that. Uh, it does have like some um, anti-aging effects in, uh, proposedly, um and, uh, it's just that the, with, with fasting, it's uh, it's not the only way to like activate autophagy. That's kind of a one mis- misconception that you need to fast to uh, have these effects. Um, there's like exercise does it as well. The sauna, uh, different kinds of uh, nutrients, uh, compounds, uh, they have this effect. But yeah, like uh, autophagy is just this uh, beneficial, um, like a cleaning, cleaning house uh, process.
0: Right. And we go through autophagy every day. When we go to bed, we're going to go through su- some degree of autophagy but yeah. when you're trying to do more intermittent fasting or using things like the sauna, um, uh, you're actually inducing more of that. And so I know that when you are going through more autophagy you're having less mtor, right. And that's kind of part of, uh, what you do. It's part of your cycle. Uh, but you also manage mtor very well because you are able to maintain muscle and also be able to only eat one meal a day, which is pretty unique for a lot of people. So, right. um, I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about the, the books that you've wrote. When was your first book? Was that the, um, was that the uh, metabolic stronger by stress, or was that
2: the immunity fix? Hmm.
0: Was that, which one was yeah, the first right.
2: one? Well, actually, the first one I wrote was uh, in 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 the second year of college. So, oh, wow. uh, right, right, <laughs> yeah. So that, that's actually, I'm not like it's not on on sale at the moment. Uh, uh, it wasn't uh, like a health book, or it was like it was more like a personal development book, and uh, it was just this collection of different principles. Of um, you know how do you um, improve yourself uh, both physically and mentally, how do you achieve self-mastery and uh, that kind of things so it's, but yeah it's not like uh, on sale at the moment uh, because I, I would maybe like just want to update you know the information there uh, but yeah like that was the first one that I wrote in my um, second year in college during the uh, between the second and third year during the summer, that's where I wrote uh, a few other uh, let's say Keto books. Um, Keto books on like how to do uh, Keto bodybuilding, Keto fasting, uh, and uh, different kinds of these variations of the Keto, like uh, targeted Keto, uh, cyclical Keto, and uh, that sort of thing. Uh, so those are maybe three or four of them, four or five, something uh, like that. And the first kind of a bigger, the one that I'm known for the most at the moment is like the metabolic methodology book, which I wrote in uh, 2019. and. Uh, then I wrote The Stronger by Stress in last, last year, summer 2020, uh, with, with Dr. James De Antonio. I wrote The Immunity Fix in fall 2020, so uh, last year, and The Mineral Fix came out in uh, late, yeah, late, late February or early March uh, this year.
0: Wow. So let us know how long it takes to write a book and how much Free time did you have during this process, and how did you eliminate distractions? Because I know book writing
2: is definitely a uh, a big task. Hmm. Right. Uh, well, um usually I've written uh, well. The Stronger by Stress book I wrote maybe in like uh two and a half months. No way. <laughs> uh, the uh the Immunity Fix I wrote uh, with uh, James uh, also uh, maybe in uh, again uh, maybe two months or so. And uh, the mineral fix took a bit more, maybe like three months. And the metabolic davaji book also took maybe two, two and a half months or two months, something like that.
0: That that's incredible. I mean, you usually hear about people taking years and years to write these books, but you're, since you're so, I guess, knowledgeable in the subject matter, you're able to crank out these books so fast. What is what is that process like? Is how many hours a day does that take?
2: Um, right. so interesting. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, well, um, if I am, uh, you know, deciding to write the book, then uh, it becomes like my main thing that I do. Um, so um, I am, you know, focusing on that most of the day. And um, I am like kind of, you know, this different kinds of uh, different kind of uh, environment, so to say that I am not, uh, you know, surrounded by distractions. So uh, I do write on, on average or you know, per day, like I have like several sessions. I'll write maybe four hours in the morning until noontime i'll take a small break and i'll write again maybe like two to three hours in the afternoon so per day i'll write maybe seven to eight hours if i am like in this book book writing mode um and uh, yeah during the process i am just not distracted by other things and uh yeah just uh i do like it's not all the information is not in my head immediately but i do have like a at least like a background uh, understanding of what i'm going to write and doing uh, during, uh during the writing, I'll still do my research actively. Almost that uh, I look up the things that I don't know, and uh, in the the active actively during the writing process itself, I'm actually also learning almost. Yes,
0: yeah. So that that's how you write th- that those books so fast because you're spending eight hours a day doing it, right? <laughs> so that so that's why. <laughs> what is how do you stay focused? Is there any certain supplements that you take or uh, practices like meditation that you do because? writing a book and sitting still and researching for four hours at a time, um, that's a lot of concentration. What is? What are some of your strategies that you use to do that?
2: Hmm, I uh, will, um, in the past I would, uh, mostly I would do uh, like meditation that helps for sure with uh, concentration and uh, self-control and uh, awareness. Uh, at the moment, I'm not doing that, at least not in the morning. Um, I don't take like any uh, supplements for nootropics, um, I don't drink like coffee in the morning either no in the coffee. morning I, yeah <laughs> I, I'm not, not, not until like a noon time when I'm okay. taking a break I'll drink some coffee uh, but uh, yeah like in the first uh, half of the morning um, I'm not so uh, I'll just you know wake up and start writing and um, I think will we'll focus is just like a skill like any other it's a learnable skill uh, you can build it and you build it almost like it with every decision uh, every moment of the day you are building you know some sort of pathways in the brain and uh, if you're teaching yourself to be distracted and uh, let your mind wander or uh, get uh, not focused uh, then uh, that's how your brain is gonna build itself because it thinks that it's how it's supposed to be whereas if you uh, do the opposite you uh, you know by, by this time I think I've just you know built uh, these deep neural pathways in my brain that uh, focus is just a, like a habit and uh, very easy to do um, and I do I do like you know remember Back in college when i did start to write uh that uh you know it was a bit more difficult at that time initially but um i just you know i've always um been able to like grind through these kinds of uh barriers sort of say so even if it even if it feels like uh uncomfortable or if it feels uh that i want to stop and do something else then i've just always uh, you know push through and uh, that's what that's how like these uh pathways uh, get built uh, faster and they stay stronger
0: that's a great tip. The brain is a muscle, just like anything else. If you train it to do a certain thing, you can eventually accomplish that task. And so if you are constantly being distracted, looking at social media every 10 minutes, you're not gonna be able to write a book in two and a half months, right? So that's a great tip for anyone listening today. So um, let's talk more in depth about uh, my one of my current favorite books right now is The Mineral Fix with Mm -hmm. you, Dr. James. How did you and Dr. James first meet? Uh, What was that introduction meeting like? And how did you guys decide to partner up to write the immunity fix and the mineral fix together.
2: Mm. Yeah, the well, I've I heard uh, about Dr. James um, a few years ago. Um, he had rewritten like the salt Fix, uh, which is also a great book, and uh, heard about like different podcasts on, about him. He had written a book with Dr. James, not uh, Dr. Dr. Jason Fung, um, which was the Longevity Solution, and uh, I invited him uh, on my podcast to uh, talk about that book um after that he actually uh, like well he saw that i had written also the metabolic autofagy book uh, so um i sent him a copy he he read it he liked it uh, a year later in 2020 uh, this uh, 2020 spring somewhere i invited him back to my podcast to talk about uh, salt this time and after that podcast he basically like proposed that uh, hey i have like all these different book ideas uh, people have been wanting to for me to write a book about minerals um you know would you like to do it together and uh yeah i said yeah let's do it and uh the first actually the book uh, for 2020 was going to be the immunity fix because of reasons and uh yeah that's that's where we yeah started to uh kind of uh, co-author together yeah
0: so th- this is the book right here the mineral fix guys for anyone who can see this um this is a i don't even know if you consider it a book it's more like an encyclopedia for minerals yeah. i mean this yeah. book has how many different references 1400 different references uh this thing is intense four thousand, right? four, thousand. four thousand.
1: yeah yeah wow
0: and um how did you guys uh i, I don't know how the the book writing process is especially when you partner someone how did you guys say hey i'm gonna write a magnesium you're gonna write on the zinc how did that um how did you guys split up the different topics in the book or did you guys kind of co-write together and meet every
2: week to decide on that um well um... James has like a lot of research that he's already done, um, different papers on different topics, and uh, and uh, yeah, like he has like some uh, like outlines. So some of the chapters are basically with some information um, that he's written before. That he sends them to me, I put them together more co- co- coherently. So to say, I do additional research, fill in the gaps, uh, make it look like a chapter, and uh, I send it back to him. He does the edits. He sends it back to me. I do the edits again, back and forth a little bit. And uh, that's the the birth of one chapter. And then we do it with all the other chapters. And then then there's going to finally we'll put it together in the book. That's awesome. And and I've read a ton of studies from Dr. James on PubMed. He's
0: got a ton of his own research articles for sure. And so, of course, like you said, they're very, uh, very scientific. Um, if you're just a lay person, it's not going to be, it's going to be kind of hard to understand. So what you guys have done with the Mineral Fix is incredible. And I encourage anyone listening um, to this podcast today to check out the Mineral Fix, check out the Immunity Fix, and of course, any other books written by Seam. So, so Seam, let's talk about minerals. Let's talk about mineral optimization. Why are we so deficient in minerals? And why is mineral deficiency
2: not talked about as talked about as much as it should be today? Hmm. Yeah, well, I think uh, it's not talked uh, that much about because uh, the uh, you know every a lot of people can hit like these uh, let's say bare adequate intakes, minimal intakes uh, with their diet, but uh, usually it's not like uh, enough to uh, be optimized, and it's sometimes not enough to treat certain medical conditions. So, like you know, for example, the adequate intake for magnesium is like one hundred and forty milligrams. But the optimal intake for uh, that can be around 400, 500, 600 for some people, uh, or even like 800. Um, so, yeah, like there's a huge difference between uh, what's bare minimum and uh, what's uh, fully optimal. And uh, most people just, you know, aren't at least like doctors or nutritionists um, may underappreciate the important role of minerals. Like they uh, almost like they're just these um, keys to uh, all the uh, processes inside the body like energy production neurotransmitter production um, digestion uh, and uh, inflammation antioxidant defense all those require uh, minerals to uh, work and yeah just people um, don't really uh, appreciate the uh, effects of that uh, why are we, like people deficient uh, well that has to do um, of course like a poor diet not eating enough uh, nutritious foods but also the uh, general um, decline in the uh, minerals in soil. So uh, things like erosion, pesticides, herbicides, um, food processing, uh, heating, uh, those things, they destroy the uh, minerals. Um, So this combination of uh, many factors. And of course, uh, many like some, uh, these uh, medical conditions like uh, diabetes, uh, insulin resistance, uh, gut issues, leaky gut, uh, SIBO, IBD, IBS, they also uh, reduce the absorption of the minerals like insulin resistance may uh, prevent the uh, entry of minerals into the cells, whereas diabetes may make you burn through certain minerals and uh, leaky gut or gut tissues uh, also not make you absorb the minerals. Yeah, a lot of people don't even realize that. So another thing is, I think,
0: testing. Te- testing, for example, magnesium is it's not on most standard lab panels, even though it's an electrolyte. People still don't test for it. Even if they do, and I know uh, you guys have talked about this in your book, the serum magnesium test is not a good marker. It's very inaccurate. And so you might be normal, quote unquote, normal on that lab test, but still not feel normal, still not be in the optimal range versus a magnesium load test, which is actually gonna measure the amount of magnesium that's actually held on or excreted based on the levels that you have in your body. So, and I think that's what people don't realize. A lot of doctors don't realize that. So you might go to the conventional doctor, say, hey, I don't feel good. He might run some some lab work, but everything looks normal, right? But it's not normal to not feel good right so i think right. that's a a key issue there magnesium is probably one, one of the things i talk about the most but in y'all's book you actually say boron is one of the most um depleted uh minerals in today's diets um uh, can you talk about boron a little bit and why there's nothing boring about boron <laughs> yeah
2: well uh boron uh it's uh it's, mo- it's it is a like a phone um in these um like plant cell walls so and most people don't really eat like uh, those kinds of foods and uh, boron is important for the bones it's uh, important for testosterone it's important for uh, inflammation uh, preventing arthritis um, as well as vitamin d so it helps to you uh, u- utilize vitamin D e better uh, so yeah boron is not <laughs> boring it's important and uh, the there's no like clear uh, rda for uh, boron it's uh The world or most countries don't have an RDA for boron because it's not considered like an absolute essential uh, mineral, uh, although it is, you know, governs some essential functions and uh, boron deficiency itself uh, can be, you know, quite uh, quite bad. Uh, The the optimal intake, like the World Health Organization may suggest that one milligrams a day is uh, good enough. And most people are getting around uh, there, like maybe 0.8 grams per day but, uh, the, uh, optimally you would want to get that. Yeah. Like three yeah, milligrams. Yeah. And, and I, I have personal experience with boron. I, I was reading testosterone
0: studies on boron and magnesium and how they interact together and also vitamin D. And I, I did a course of three months of boron, just six milligrams daily. And it raised my total testosterone by hundred points.
1: Mm.
0: I know it's anecdotal. My free testosterone also bumped up, I think by 25 points. So pretty substantial, just from a natural mineral, right? Um, so other, other minerals that you'd like to talk about besides uh, magnesium, I, we could talk about magnesium probably this whole podcast, uh, but anything else that you'd like to supplement, maybe you think more people should look at either getting from their diet and if they're not getting from the diet,
2: getting from mm. supplements.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, well, one of the interesting ones uh, that we talked about was uh, chromium. Uh, so uh, chromium is uh, important for glucose uh, disposal and insulin uh, production so uh it's chromium, chromium supplementation has been found to be effective for diabetes uh, type 2 and insulin resistance the uh the, the problem with the chromium is that uh it's very low in the absorption so only like one percent of the uh chromium that you get from diet uh, gets absorbed so uh that's why you may need actually like a whole lot more chromium than you you know, think you need and uh, you also excrete chromium through the sweat so uh, if you are doing saunas, exercising regularly, then chances are, or athletes at least, they would be pretty um, lower in the chromium because of uh, sweating it out and not getting uh, that much uh, from uh, their foods. So uh, on some days, I do take like a chromium uh, picolinate, uh, 1000 micrograms, or at least on the days that I maybe eat carbs to help with the insulin production. But yeah, like uh, if you have like diabetes or uh, insulin resistance, then like short-term uh, chromium supplementation can also be... Uh, quite uh effective and quite good
0: yes yeah, so i've read somewhere that there's actually four receptors on insulin that are all chromium dependent so you actually you have to have chromium if you're deficient in chromium you know insulin receptor sensitivity is not going to work as well and if you're insulin resistant you're not going to absorb other minerals like magnesium and mm-hmm. other you know other essential minerals as well so that's a huge huge deal where do you get chromium in foods seem
2: that's always a Mm. The question I get is where do you get these minerals from food and why do we not get enough? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, highest source is uh, mussels. So uh, seafood or like oysters can also have it. And uh, broccoli and oatmeal are like the plant-based uh, sources, but they're like almost like 10 times uh, smaller in the amounts uh, than uh, mussels. Yeah,
0: so let's, um, let's talk about some of those things that deplete or compete for mineral absorption, like uh, oxalic acid, Phytic acid, tannins. Um, mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on those? And so it's because you tell someone to eat a lot of spinach because it's rich in magnesium, but then you realize it's got a lot of oxalic. Ox, 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 sorry, can't talk. Oxalic acid as well. So you actually don't get as much magnesium as you once thought. So what are your thoughts on foods that contain that, and how do you mitigate getting around that?
2: Yeah, yeah. The uh, plant-based sources are generally lower in the absorption of um, minerals because of the phytonutrients uh, and the fiber. Um, general like I don't think that even if they're even if it is like maybe 20% reduction in the absorption of the minerals is never it's not going to be like zero so you're still getting some of them you just have to be eating maybe a little bit a bit more uh, and uh, yeah you can still get your uh, minerals uh, from uh, plant-based foods as well you just have to maybe uh, be careful with more of the food choices and uh, yeah it's it's yeah like you're not really never gonna be zero and you know on a western diet uh, if you're eating let's say a good healthy diet a whole foods based diet then you this the, the um, vast quantity of foods themselves will cover your uh at least like the majority of the minerals um in the rda is required so uh, you may be deficient in some like uh, maybe chromium or magnesium or boron uh, but you can still get most of them uh, if you're eating like a decent diet uh, because it's just a sheer amount of calories that you're obtaining and even if you are reducing that absorption by 20 percent or maybe I don't know, 25% at maximum, then, uh, you know, it's never gonna be a zero. Uh, yeah, in, in some cases, you know, I, if, wh- whenever it's possible, it's good to reduce the amount of those um, fa- f- these anti-nutrients, um, like um, you can reduce the uh, absorption of oxalate by increasing calcium intake, or um, lemon juice does it as well. So uh, if you eat spinach, combine it with some um, like cheese or uh, sardines uh, or lemon juice, Vinegar, those kinds of things um, will help that uh, tannins or um, phytic acid. Those things uh, you can like sprout certain grains and seeds, and that will also reduce the content of that. Uh, coffee does like uh, a some uh, minerals, uh, but in some cases like, that can actually be a good thing because like uh, excess iron, excess iron like increases liver damage, heart disease, promotes that um, causes other problems. Uh, increases aging uh so uh like excess, excess iron if you're eating i say only like a muscle meat diet or eating like a bunch of refined grains then uh combining that with coffee can actually be a good thing because you're lowering your iron and uh high iron may also um uh, it's, it's you know, like you, you need uh, iron for like uh preventing anemia and uh, oxygenation of the tissues and uh, hemoglobin but you also need copper for that uh so uh, copper actually activates all these um or it helps to transport iron around, and also helps absorb iron. So you need copper from liver. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a, like a complex thing. Like some of the coffee, for example, can be good to uh, mitigate the excess iron and help with actually like uh, symptoms of anemia.
0: Yeah, that, that's a good tip for sure. And I, I, I like what you said about even though the oxalic acid is going to reduce some of the absorption, don't never eat that food because it's, you know you're still going to get some of the magnesium. You're still going to get some of the minerals. The mm-hmm. vitamins, right? So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You're still going to get yeah. some of those nutrients when you ingest those. Um, is there anything you've learned about minerals, maybe in the book writing process that you wish you would have known sooner?
2: Mm. Well, I did learn uh, quite a lot. Actually, uh, I, I didn't have like that uh, good of a grasp about minerals before that. And yeah, it was a really awesome uh, writing process because I learned every chapter was uh, something new. And, uh, yeah, it's hard to tell which one was the biggest uh, eye-opener. Um, maybe maybe uh, I did start to appreciate more, like, the calcium uh, role, so to say. Like, I did start to consume more calcium foods, like, a bit of more dairy and, uh, like, sardines and fish bones uh, to get the uh, calcium. Um, because, yeah, like, uh, if you're eating uh, – because, like, one of the biggest only sources of calcium are, like, dairy – and uh fish bones or some those, those kinds of things and i didn't have like I, I stopped you know consuming dairy on a regular basis a few years ago but i start to like reintroduce it a little bit now just to get uh, more calcium and to prevent like uh, osteoporosis or uh bone like bone frailty later in life i do have like uh, some bad genetics for uh osteoporosis so it's just like a pre-consumer yeah
0: that's great i love that tip um was there, have you ever tested your mineral intake on a blood test or, you know, or RBC or hair test? Uh, do you have any thoughts on uh, mineral testing or vitamin testing in that regard?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, not recently. I haven't taken uh, that. Uh, usually, I think, well, it depends on some minerals are better. If you are like a red blood cell test, um, yeah. red blood cell count for the magnesium is, I uh, think like in the book, we say that's the best one. Uh, with the uh, hair test, uh, generally, the hair tests are better because it's uh, longer, like a time frame that tells you, instead of just the rap, instead of the snapshot that you get from a blood test. Uh, so, yeah, it's, depends on the kind of mineral. Yeah, great.
0: Yeah, obviously, magnesium is one of the tests I always advise people to get. Um, and you, you can get it. You can ask your doctor to get it. It costs a little bit more than a serum test, but I think it's more... Going to be a better indicator of your saturation of magnesium into your cells but I've, I've never done a hair mineral test and i'm still looking up uh how how, how clinical reliable they are you know and um uh, do you have any thoughts on the hair mineral test and the clinical effectiveness the re- reliability for actually giving you a true
2: predictor of mineral deficiency any thoughts um well um i think uh, in the book we did say that um it can be good, but it's not uh, like 100% accurate, right? So, uh, yeah, so I think you have to kind of use uh, different, uh, different, uh, different these different tests to see, like, because if you don't have like any symptoms, uh, then, um, you know, the test can still uh, lie. <laughs> so, right. you have to like, combine it with uh, several things, yes, yes.
0: Okay, so let's um let's ask you a few, I guess, personal questions about your supplement routine. What what supplements do you take currently? And I'm not telling everyone to take the same supplements as you, but based on your goals, your
2: fitness endeavors, what supplements do you take and why? Mm -hmm. I take I take uh, quite a different kinds of supplements. Um, One that I do take on a daily basis uh, right now are niacin, vitamin B three. I take CoQ ten. I take res uh, creatine glycine uh, trimethylglycine and um, perhaps also uh, SHL amino acids on some with a, with a protein shake that I'd take and I don't know maybe that's uh, it that comes to mind at the moment so you're, you're taking more of a kind of seems like a longevity
0: supplement stack right so mm. And, yeah. I know you, and I know you've, you post a lot about uh, nicotinamide, t- nicotinamide rib- riboside, niacin, B3. The importance mm. of that as we get older, we start losing it. It's part of the anti-aging uh, movement. Um, I've, I've seen you post about magnesium too. I think you took a, a seven form different magnesium product at one time before mm. as well. Um, yeah. Awesome. What about, what are your thoughts on vitamin D?
2: Do you take vitamin D or do you try to get your vitamin D from the sun? Mm. Uh, not during the summer. Um at the moment, I haven't been taking the vitamin D, but during the winter, yeah, for sure. Like I take, uh, at least like two to 4,000 I use during the winter months. Uh, but the summertime, uh, I've been, yeah, mostly trying to uh, get more, uh, outside. Great. Great.
0: And, uh, how many times do you work out per week or per day? What is your current, um, I know you're doing a lot more of a body or powerlifting split. Um, but still do you work
2: out five times a week, seven times, hmm. multiple times per day? Right. Um, I, uh, work out Uh, almost every day i have um, a cycle between like uh, resistance training workouts and cardio so i'll do uh, resistance training maybe uh, three to four times a week and uh, cardio twice a week and maybe like one day i'll do uh, a rest day perfect perfect
0: okay so this podcast has been super information packed and we've learned a ton about the man the myth the legend team today from estonia Steve, if you're on a desert island and you can only pick one health-related device, this could be a supplement or any gadgets that you found super beneficial. What would you bring with you on that island,
2: and why? Hmm. <laughs> well, that's a good question. Uh, uh, well, you wouldn't need like a vitamin D supplement there. Uh, <laughs> right. You wouldn't. Right. You wouldn't need like a red light uh, device. Um. You wouldn't need like a gym equipment. You wouldn't need like a bunch of supplements uh well it depends on where the island is located at uh, <laughs> if it's like a tropical island uh then uh yeah i don't know maybe <laughs> hard to tell yeah maybe uh like either like uh well at least like my favorite supplements are like either glycine or magnesium uh, so, uh, just like either one of those. And I think it's hard to get like magnesium from, uh, like an island as well.
0: Yeah. That, that, that's always my, I, whenever I get asked a question, I'll, it's always magnesium and magnesium probably glycinate because of, of the absorption. So mm. yeah, we're right there. Yeah. Now I do the same thing. I'm like, okay, so you're getting vitamin D from the sun. You're probably going to be able to get uh, fresh fish. So the omega-3 is going to be good. Uh, and I go through, mm. like, maybe you'll get some fresh coconuts too for some healthy fats. Right. So that's good. awesome. So if you could put a billboard up in the busiest highway, either in Europe or in America with one to two sentences of anything health or motivation or some positive related, what would you say and why?
2: Hmm. I think, um, well, I would say something, uh, Something related to like, uh, you know, being more kind to others and uh, yeah, <laughs> not, uh, not, not having like this perspective of uh, trying to put yourself into the shoes of other people. So like if you're in a traffic traffic jam, then uh, maybe that someone else has to go to the hospital or something. Um, so etc. trying to have like a bigger uh, perspective on, uh, on things and trying to, uh, yeah, like be more understanding. Yes, having more compassion.
0: That, that's great. We need that more than ever during this crazy, crazy time. Yeah. So, what does the future uh, for you look like? What are your, some of your career endeavors? What are some of your health
2: endeavors? Any other new books on the horizon? Hmm. Uh, well, we are, uh, with James, we are writing a new book as well. Um, and yeah, I have, like, uh, <laughs> I'm definitely going to publish more uh, books in the future, but also been working on, uh, like, a documentary about uh, stress called Stronger by Stress. So it's about uh, biohacking and uh, health. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, like I'll, I don't have like, um, any, like I don't plan ahead in terms of like five years, but I do plan ahead in like, I don't know, 20 years or 50 years. (laughs)
0: That's awesome. So documentary on the rise, new books to, for people to look forward to seeing, this has been a, an awesome session with you today for anyone listening who wants to learn more about you and where to find you, where to find your books, where
2: can they do that at? Yeah, well, my website is a Seamland.com and uh, all the books are on Amazon and I'm also Seamland on uh, the social media platforms. Awesome. Seam, this has been such a, such a fun talk and I look forward to maybe
0: doing this with you in the future. Hope you have a great day and thank you again for coming on today. Yeah, my
1: pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Fredrickson Health Show. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended to be used as personalized medical advice. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, leave us a rating and review. Follow us on social media and subscribe to our email newsletter for more information.